Welcome to the Global Watch Prayer Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we build community in prayer to empower the church from local expressions to global connections. For more information and resources on the Global Watch, visit theglobalwatch.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you. This is the weekly Israel Watch, and we are thrilled to have Susan Hagee here today. It's February 15th. Can you believe that? We are halfway through February today, 3 p.m. Jerusalem time. But I was saying earlier, I am so looking forward to being with both Karen and Susan. You carry such an anointing for compassion. I told her, I need a good dose of Susan Hagee today. So Karen and Susan, I'm going to turn it right on over to you. Okay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think we, we want to begin with worship. Susan, you wrote, Susan Rowe, you wrote something about, I think you used the word dizzying, or something about Daniel, about being able to keep our focus during the things are accelerating. It just seems every day to the east, to the west, we're in Turkey, we're in Ohio, we're in Asbury, we're in the Ukraine, things shaking at an accelerating pace. And Lord, we do, we need to hear you above all else and have our focus on you. Thank you. 
Thank you, Karen. So I guess it's good to start off with tears. You, the praise of the Lord just, it undo, it, I'm undone sometimes. It's just, it speaks so deep to my soul and I want the survivors to know what this feels like, to experience it. Thank you. I'm going to start off today with the scripture with 1 John 4, 7 and 8. The Lord's had me in this kind of scripture and study and everything since last year. As then when Danny started this whole thing on 1 John, I was like, okay, another part of it. So 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. That is our focus for the Holocaust survivors is to bring them love in whatever way we can. And so today I'm going to be speaking about the value of prayer. This subject is preaching to the choir here. 
everyone on this call I know are seeking opportunities to pray, but today I hope to challenge us all to reach for a new level. A quote by Karl Barth, who was a Swiss theologian, he said, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. And that's exactly where we're at. Eugene Peterson, another pastor, described prayer as a subversive activity that involves a more or less open act of defiance against any claim of the current regime. And that regime, of course, being the enemy of Yeshua. I'm sure you've all seen news on the current revival happening at Asbury University in Kentucky, the USA. The revival also took place at the same place, same location in 1970. But the current revival began with just a regular chapel service and just a few praying for revival. And it's now spread to other university campuses. The past revivals have brought change and salvation all over the world. And the same is happening now. Each one began with just a few people in prayer. In Leipzig in East Germany, every Monday night in a church in Leipzig, which was under communist rule at that time, a few people gathered to pray for peace, less than a dozen, faithfully every Monday. Seven years later, still praying every Monday. By then, 70,000 people were showing up to pray. The police had arrived to break it up and they were prepared for violence. They all left the church. They walked past the police forces with candles and a simple prayer for peace and no violence. They let them go, nothing happened. One week later, it was 120,000 people. Two weeks later, it was 300,000 people had come to pray, filling the square and the church. Four weeks later to today, the Berlin Wall was torn down. Prayer changes things. The defiance of praying for the kingdom of God to come on earth and the power to cry out to God. In Ulster, North Ireland in 1859, a Friday prayer meeting started by four young men praying for three months, starting in 1957. It grew to 100 prayer meetings a week, 16 meetings each night. All the drunkenness and prostitution decreased so much, the local brewery had to close. Change. Azusa Street, Los Angeles, California, in the U.S., from 1906 to 1915, a call to prayer by Pastor Seymour resulted in such a passion for prayer, it lasted nine years, filled with salvations and life changes as a result, and it still has an impact today. The Welsh Revival in 1904-06, Evan Roberts prayed for revival for 13 years. He started when he was 13 years old. He was known for being filled with faith, zeal, love, and the Holy Spirit. Revival began in a prayer meeting focused on earnest, agonizing prayer, along with humility. Intense passion for Yeshua, a lot of singing, no preaching, overwhelming sense of the presence of the Lord. About 70,000 people were saved. And the result? The police had nothing to do. Drunkenness was gone, so the bars closed. The courts were empty, the theaters were closed as everybody wanted to be at the meeting. Even the old debts were paid and profanity disappeared. Why am I speaking about revivals? I'm going to share with you some photos of survivors and talk to you about them. And then I'll answer that question. Keith? This is Fania. 
Estefania, we have known for about 12 years, 14 years, and she now has dementia. She absolutely is sweet. She's holding a bag that was sent to her by someone who adopted her and they made everything that was in it. And she was just thrilled. You would have thought I'd given her the world. It is so easy sometimes just to bring somebody love. Next. And this is someone who is also adopted by the same person and that they're also holding a bag. And this is Zena. And Zena, she was married to a man who was in the Leningrad siege and he played an instrument in the, in the Red Army. He has died since and she's on her own. Um, I just love her to pieces. We took her to lunch once and all she did, we had another survivor with us, a man, and all she did was feed him, literally. She was just putting food on a fork and putting it in his mouth. And he was just red as a beet, just doing whatever she told him. <laughs> we can have a lot of fun with them. Here I am with someone new, Solomon. Solomon does not walk very much. He's 93 years old. And his wife is 30 years younger than him. And he only speaks Hebrew, so I had Louise with me. She's the one that took the picture. And we brought them a quilt. So he has a quilt that was made by people in the US and they, it's all handmade. And they sew it with prayer. The entire time that they are sewing, they are praying over this quilt. And this, when we give them, we know that they are now under the covering of Yeshua. And I pray that every time they lay under that quilt, that he is speaking to them. Oh, this poor man, and you'll forgive me, I've forgotten his name. <laughs> he looks so totally different from when I knew him before. If you could see a different angle, his head is caved in on one side. They had to take out a brain tumor and it took a good bit of his brain. And yet he was so thrilled with that and he talked to us, he could talk to us. And he walks over to the park by himself and back to the hostel. But yet he sits there. The reason he sits there is he can't stand to stay in the room where his wife lived with him and he misses her so much. He's been gone two years and he still misses. We loved on him, we just hugged him and we loved on him and gave him a quilt so he can sleep peacefully. Sephora, or I'm sorry, Cecilia. Cecilia is from Bulgaria. She was in the ghetto there. And she came here in 1948, just before they made the Israel estate. And she's now in a, in a nursing home, a beta vote. Her mind is perfect. She's 97 years old. She doesn't look it. She is sweet as pie, but because she cannot walk, she is placed on the same ward as all the people who have dementia or cannot speak. She has no one to speak to on that ward. And she was so thrilled that we came to see her and couldn't believe that we would do this. This woman has built part of the community here in Akko. I love her to pieces. Oh, we went in to see this lady and her house looks like what I was describing. This part of the house, we could 
take a picture. But the rest of it is simply hoarding trash. She just doesn't, she can't. And caretakers from the government are not allowed to move things when they clean. And so they only clean around everything. There's no one to help her. And she wasn't even sure she wanted us to come in, but she did let us come in and she warmed right up when we gave her the quilt. She, what can I say? It's just, it's sad. This is Grisha. Grisha is also receiving a bag from an adopter. And Luis was able to speak to him in a mixture of Yiddish and Hebrew. He used to understand Hebrew perfectly. He's been here since 1946. And he spoke perfect Hebrew before, but it's gone. His house is bad. It's, there's no place to sit. She's sitting in about the only chair there is. And he has fixated in his mind that he wants us to give him a washing machine. He won't know how to use it. So I don't want to give him a washing machine. And there's, he doesn't want the old one taken away anyway. And his kitchen is just a nightmare. <laughs> And we actually, I spoke to the police about him, a police who were cleaning up places. And they went in and they were so sweet to him. And they cleaned up and told him that the health department would not like this. And they had to take things out. But now it's all back to the way it was. And he can't even keep a caretaker because he doesn't know how to work with them. Grisha needs prayer. Oh, this sweet little lady. All right. You can see all the things in the background. They were just all over. And now somebody came in and just organized. It's organized. It's still the same stuff, but it's organized. And she is completely alone. She has no family or friends left in Ukraine or in Kazakhstan or in Uzbekistan or anywhere that she has lived and nobody here. She's completely on her own. And she wasn't sure she wanted us to come in. She met us outside and then escorted us in. And when we gave her the quilt, that's when we got this smile. And I'm just praying that there's a way to clean up, to help her to have her kitchen isn't even really usable, to just change her life. And this is what we pray for. Oh, this couple, they live in the hostel and they just couldn't believe that we came in, gave them a quilt, gave flowers for his birthday. And just, they're so loving. They have each other, which so many of them are losing their spouses, but right now they have each other and they have great sense of humor. And up until a year ago, they were going out to volunteer to help the old people. And I believe he's 90 and she's 88. And this is the kind of attitude that we run into sometimes. And it's a delight to go and visit them. But they need Yeshua too. Whether they're in, in, in a bad way or in a good way. They all need Yeshua. <laughs> okay. We went to see her just the other week. And we came in and she barely spoke to us. She was polite and that was it. And then we pulled this quilt out and gave it to her. And she said, I was beginning to wonder when you were going to bring me one because I know somebody who already got one and you didn't bring me one yet. So I guess now she'll be a little more friendly because we gave her a quilt. 
And she, <laughs> she goes to the two times a week, so she's active and she does go out, but she does have some health issues. And so we hope that she will begin to open her heart to us, that we can visit her a little bit more and get to know her. This couple here, this is Boris on the left, and then Sonia, and then that's Lisa, who is our Russian translator. So Boris is 92. We were there for his birthday, and so we had to have some cake and coffee, and Sonia is 90. And I have to say, I was afraid of this lady for a long time, because every time I got near her, she is so strong, she would leave bruises on my arm when she would grab me. She knocked me over twice onto the ground. She's calmed down now that she's reached 90. She's calmed down a little bit. But when we got there, what is typical of many of the survivors, she grabbed my hand and wouldn't let go. She said, I love you and I don't want you to leave. I want you to stay right here. And it's not that we're doing anything special, except Yeshua comes into the room with us and he stays with them. And this is what we want. Both of them are deaf, totally, completely deaf. We cannot call them on the phone. They hand the phone back and forth. Nobody hears anything we say. We have to just stop in. And so that's what we did. But they graciously put in their hearing aids this time so we could actually talk. Miriam sitting in the red and black dress. She is 97. She'll be 98 in November. And the people with her are from Scotland. And so we had gone to see her and she was so thrilled, but was very funny. I took a box full of Valentine candy and she couldn't take her eyes off of it. And to my knowledge, she doesn't eat that much candy, but she just kept looking at it and going, oh my, oh. Valentine's. Oh, and what has she done now? We have visited her a lot. I know Miriam very well. She's an amazing woman from Poland and she speaks five languages, six languages. She's writing books. She's written 22 books of her own in English, Hebrew, and Polish. And she translates for another man who writes books in Polish and she puts them into Hebrew for him. She's just incredible. But after this visit, what she did, she called me up and she said, I want to have lunch with you alone. That has never happened. In all the years I've known her, she wants to see me by myself. So I am really praying that she wants to ask questions because she absolutely refuses to forgive. So I really pray, please pray for Miriam to accept the Lord. This That's is the last really one, Susan, by the way. This okay. is the last picture. All right, thank you. That's a good one to end on. Golda, if you can see there, she has 100 on the cake. She is our 100-year-old lady, and she has got a sharp mind, and she's very funny, and we love her so much. Louise, absolutely. She talks to her in Yiddish. And we are now allowed, we weren't allowed to see her for about six, seven months. Her son who had taken her into his home refused to let us come. But he saw that we brought gifts, that we came and we loved on her and that she got excited to see us. So now we are allowed to return. And that is an answer to prayer. 
Thank you, Keith. So the reason I spoke about the survival or about the revivals, Holocaust survivors are one reason for revival. Our prayers for them are calling for God's kingdom on earth to change their lives and to bring them to their Messiah, bring peace in the trauma. These survivors, it's very important that we pray for them and really pay attention to them and give them what they need. They're the oldest representatives of things that we're seeing now. We have the earthquakes and the floods and the trauma from cyclones and drought and things that are happening around the world. This was a precursor to a lot of that. And so people are, they're experiencing the murder rate skyrocketing. That was the Holocaust. Human trafficking, especially children, families torn apart. There is so much trauma within the families. The betrayal, this is huge. Betrayal is huge. And it has spread so much all over the world. Betrayal is massive. And the torture that they went through, there's torture today. The loss of life on an epic, disastrous scale. We look at the earthquake and what it has done and that trauma that comes with it for all of those survivors and those people who waited underneath. Just because they're rescued, that doesn't mean the trauma ends. It doesn't. So when we pray for God's kingdom, we are praying for them, for the survivors. And praying for revival is praying for his kingdom. So I have found as we pray for the survivors, we are rarely the ones to meet their needs. Others come and give them help. We don't know them. We just hear about it happening or we show up and something was fixed. We didn't call them. We simply prayed because prayer is what is going to make the difference in their lives. Our prayer is the most powerful cry for help in the universe. Yeshua is just waiting for the call. I want to I want to read to you. Oh, cried so much. Hope I can read. Hope I can see it. I want to read to you something from Red Moon Rising by Paul Pete Grieg. And this is something that was written on the wall of the boiler room in Reading in the, U in the UK. The boiler room is where you are having prayer, and the expectation is that. The fire of intercession will boil up. And so it, it's called the boiler room. And this was written on the wall by someone who was there interceding. It's called, What Am I Bid? Suddenly I find myself in a giant hall surrounded. Surrounding me are thousands of young people, battered, bruised, and broken. Then a voice says, What Am I Bid? A young girl stands before a crowd of leering, sneering men. What am I bid for this piece of flesh? The men start to cheer and shout figures, 10, 20, 50, 100. What can I do, Lord? I start to bid. I have to save her. The cost becomes huge and I begin to waver. Can I afford this? What price will I pay? The dream stops. I'm alone again, but the faces are real enough. Sarah being sold into prostitution, Mike with a revolver in his mouth, Cat covered in cuts and bruises, John falling into crime, Laura alone and desperate, Steve, heroin needle bulging into his vein. What am I bid? 
The voice shatters the silence. The auction is on again. The bidding has begun. It continues day and night until the end. Most of the bidders desire only use and abuse. Satan drives them on. And so I find myself in the auction. Will I watch or will I bid? The price of a single life is huge, but the currency is prayer. The cost is massive, but the prize is glorious. A life for a life. What am I bid? A life for a life. Our time in prayer is our currency. How much are we willing to bid? 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27 from the message. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose those nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? Many of us are nobodies, but we have power in prayer. The Holocaust survivors are exploited in many ways. We have been hearing lately of many scams that have taken thousands of shekels from them. They're suffering not only from then, but from now. People still using and abusing them. I'm asking you to please pray for the Holocaust survivors. We're losing them quickly. Three more within this last week. The time is short and it's moving faster. Please consider how you are willing to spend and keep these lives from eternal damnation. The Holocaust survivors, family leaders of your community, of your church, the broken and the unlovely, a life of prayer for a life. I'm asking, will you bid? Karen, can you please lead everyone else in prayer and so we can start? The prayer.